Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have an incredibly fascinating and incredibly wide-ranging conversation with the graphic designer, writer, musician, general polymath Peter Mendelssohn. Peter is probably best known for being, until recently, the associate art director at Knopf, where he designed in my opinion, some of the most interesting book covers of the last decade. But he's also published two books of his own, Cover, a collection of his book cover work, and What We See When We Read, which is this really interesting look at the relationship between visuals and text. And then next year, Peter will be publishing his first novel called Same Same, which we talk about quite a bit in this conversation. We also talk about his relationship to graphic design and his restlessness with being boxed into a particular mode of work. We talk about working across mediums and disciplines and his experience writing this novel and and working in fiction. This truly was one of my favorite conversations. I couldn't stop talking about it to the people around me for days after and have been really excited to release it for all of you to hear in a sort of roundabout way, we cover so much of what I usually talk about, but Peter's approach was just so inspiring and interesting to me. Early in the conversation, he mentions Jenny Ophill's notion of the art monster, and this term art monster really guides a lot of the conversation and, and made for what I think is a really honest and, and profound conversation. I'm really excited for you to hear it. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year to receive an exclusive monthly newsletter with additional content and episode previews. Memberships really help keep the podcast going, and I just really appreciate all of your support. And uh, for right now, I hope that you enjoy this really great conversation with Peter Mendelssohn. conversations kind of talking about people's background how they got into design that sort of thing I feel like we don't need to do that I feel okay. like you've <laughs> you've talked about that a yeah. lot I feel like that story is really well known we can point people to plenty of other interviews where you've talked about that okay um but I mean, the only thing that's really relevant there is that the process that I underwent becoming a designer I feel like I'm now undergoing that process again sort of I don't want to say extracting myself from design, but it's it, it the 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 process and the feelings that uh, associated with the project the process are remarkably similar. Moving from design to writing prose, as the feelings that I felt when I was leaving music to start oh, to start designing. It's yeah. it's um, it's wrenching and exciting in the exact same ways. Okay, so this is this is either perfect or, or uh-huh. gonna completely throw off all the questions okay. I had planned. But I, I was curious where writing how writing kind of fit into mm-hmm. to this story that you know you've talked about this transition from music to design. And the reason I asked that is and I don't mean to like call back to something you've written years ago, but I remember very vividly when you announced what we see when we read, and it was almost a parenthetical where you just said, I'd written books before, but you know, never published any of them or something. And it sounded so offhanded, oh. but it also was like, oh, writing is a big part of I you mean, or your identity. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anybody that I know who writes books has those um, buried skeletal books somewhere in their closet. Right. right. I mean, most writers that I know have aborted novels, and mm -hmm. I, my past is definitely littered with um, ideas I was really excited about, but just didn't have the wherewithal to carry through. And in some ways, uh, I feel like writing is, I mean, obviously I'm interested in a variety of media right. and um, I'm interested in what those media can do for me. And I found that actually writing is both still easier on the one hand than performing classical music. <laughs> on the right. other hand, much more satisfying and uh, rich an arena to work in than graphic design. Yeah. So in a way, it's yeah. sort of a sweet spot between <laughs> right. the two the two mediums that I had been have had experience with. I really yeah. like it. There is a lot to communicate. The bandwidth feels larger than the say, yeah. even just emotional, psycho-emotional yeah. bandwidth of what you can communicate in a work of design. Right. You know, when you're writing... It's, it's much more comparable to that emotional bandwidth that, that you have with music, right. right? So were you writing, like, you know, as you were becoming a designer, as you were playing music, were you, did you always write? Did you always have, you know, ambitions or an interest in that? Um, I, I don't know if I had ambitions to be a writer specifically. Okay. It's funny. Did you ever read... Um, Jenny Ophel's book, Department of Speculation? Uh, no, but it's one of those that's been on my list for years. So the main character in that book um, has an expression that she uses to describe, I guess, what she is, sort of aspirationally, and that is an art monster. Okay. And as soon as I read that phrase, I thought, yeah, that's, that is really what I always wanted to be, was an art monster. It didn't really matter sort of what... Yeah the medium was, but I wanted to have my life be tied up in this, in making things that didn't exist before. Right. And it, right. And I, I don't, I, I sort of thought about it as, you know, initially it was making music. Um, obviously that's problematic. It's funny. I was actually just watching the winter Olympics and seeing all the, um, Olympic skaters. It's always right. sort of the field that feels the most comparable to me to being oh, a classical musician yeah, in the yeah. sense that the stakes are ridiculously high. You have to, it's mostly about a kind of a technical perfection. You have to start when you're very, very young. You can only do it so long. And then after that, you kind of are forced to reinvent yourself. Right. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what you see is a ton of burnout. Right. Um, Anyway, I guess this is a very long answer to your question, but I, I, you know, what I'm finding is the older I get, um, the more I realize that that being an art monster, it doesn't, you don't have to devote that monstrousness to a single medium. You could create a kind of constellation right. of interests yeah, yeah. And, and, and methodologies and forms, and they can all inform one another. And I'm sort of hoping that that's, you know, you know in a, I'm sorry, I'm going on. No, that's this like, is, this is what I love. This okay. is what this is for. It's funny. I think we live in a, an era that it's oft remarked upon that we live in an era of extreme specialization. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's often really verboten to, to, to try your hand at a variety of things because it's considered dabbling. Mm -hmm. And so there's this stigma that's attached to it that I right. find that I come up against all the time 
weirdly not so much externally, but definitely internally, I have my own kind of um, prejudices around yeah, it. Yeah, and, I know exactly um, what you're talking about. You know, my imposter syndrome that I have anyway is definitely uh, amplified yeah. by that thinking that, you know, you know, who do you think you are doing this? Right, you know? right. Um, and I think it's especially hard once you've become your name has sort of become attached to one particular thing, i.e. making book jackets. I think it's even harder. And yet I do when I started designing book jackets as much as I knew yeah, that I yeah. loved it and I really enjoyed doing it and, and maybe had some uh, ability in doing it that it was kind of a way station, that it wasn't going to be something I was always going to, I just knew that it wasn't going to be something oh, I was always going to be doing. I mean, I hope I do always do it. Yeah. It's just not always going to be the, be all end all for me well and i remember i'm sorry that my first two questions are quoting things that you have written before i usually try not to, to do it's, that but hey. I, as you know as i was kind of thinking about this i was reminded of i think it was the introduction to cover and you talk about exactly what you're talking about now that kind of unsure if you can call yourself a designer mm -hmm. and that uh you know, almost like you're hedging, I think was the word that you used. Oh, yeah, actually. that's right. Actually, yeah, the word was hedging. Um, Self-definition's hard. Yeah. I mean, we... I, the other thing I struggle with is this idea that um, while we're all aspiring to be one thing or other, the thing that we're actually doing is our work in the world, right? right. I, I often right. think about someone like Leonard Bernstein, who all he wanted to be was a respected classical... He wanted to yeah. be Aaron Copeland, right? Right. In the meantime, he wrote, like, the greatest American musical, was one of our greatest conductors yeah. of all yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I often think about, you know, I mean, this is so confessional to be saying, but I, my worry is that, you know, maybe I'm a graphic designer. I still don't know if I'm a graphic designer. Yeah. But my interests are not, um, that, that label doesn't, circumscribe my interests there there's just there's way more to do in the world okay okay so th that's why i brought that up though is because you you end that introduction basically saying that the task of the designer was bigger than maybe what you initially thought it was and that's something that really resonated with me when i when i got the book and when it came out because i at the time and, and, and you know as we were kind of talking about before we recorded still kind of feel like Maybe, you know, I gotten into this career that I graphic design was this thing that it's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And then I was like, wait, is this really all it is? This isn't, you know, I don't, yeah. this is not what I see kind of the rest of my, my career doing. You're not alone in feeling that way. <laughs> and, and this kind of realization that graphic design in quotes can actually be a lot of different types of things yeah. uh, and that that can expand. I'm curious kind of mm -hmm. what you think of about that or, or even kind of how that term mm. or that title has evolved for you. Um, yeah, you know, honestly, I, I'm still not entirely sure what it, what design even means. I yeah. mean, obviously yeah, I've, makes two I've read what many people have had to say about that question. And, um, I, you know, other than the, the sort of, commercial aspects of the thing right. as opposed to you know the pure aspects of fine arts or making music or mm -hmm. writing a book or whatever um I, i'm not i don't i don't know what it really means to be a designer i mean yeah. interestingly since i started actually designing making 
book jackets and various other things, I look at other art forms with a different kind of eye, like a, an eye more to sort of uh, architecture and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I see patterns a lot more than I used to, um, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, playing a piece of music or uh, reading someone else's novel. I'm just much more keyed into um, sort of uh, those kind of architectonics than I, than I used to be. Yeah. Um, and I think design has definitely, it's definitely allowed me on some level to feel a little bit freer about um, making things in the sense that, you know, I know that when I sit down with an InDesign file, I can throw some colors and type together and it can be okay and it can work and it doesn't have to be necessarily a work of genius for people to like it. And, right. you know, and that it's sort of about sort of like navigating that rectangle on my screen yeah. It sounds very simple to say it, and it actually is kind of simple. And in a way, what I'm trying to do now is translate those feelings onto these other art forms that are so much more laden in terms of the, the sort of importance that, that we put on them culturally. And oh, um, interesting. I'm trying to maintain that feeling of just sort of like working in the rectangle, that sort of ease and right, play right. of... Um, and it, it really actually, I think the design has really helped me in that regard. It's definitely freed me up to just not be so self-serious. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. so does that, I'm, I have a question. I don't know exactly kind of how, I want to go back to, I want to connect this back to writing a little bit because sure. you had said early on and I wanted to come back to it that, um, writing gives you a certain gratification or something that, mm -hmm. that kind of design doesn't. Do you think being a designer now has changed how you think about writing also and the actual kind of yeah, act of writing. Definitely. What's funny is like writing the novel was an interesting experience because I, you know, I started writing the, I mean, writing a novel is a process, right? Yeah, you don't, yeah. you, you tend to not write a novel using the same methodology at the beginning that you use at the end. Cause it just takes so fucking long to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry about the, oh, no, this is a pot. This okay. is on the radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, so, and, and especially yeah. I think for me, like I'm learning how to write, um, yeah. in some ways in public on all of my projects, I've been sort of just like, yeah. I've been learning how to do this thing and putting things out there. And, yeah. and one of the things I learned, uh, what I'm trying to say is when I started working on the novel, I started very, very micro. I started in a way that was trying to express, to squeeze as much expression out of a sentence as I, as I every single sentence as I could to go like straight for profundity, straight yeah. for poetry, for rhythm, for, you know, everything had to be just sort of like, you know, luminous, perfect and deep diving. Yeah. And the more, the more I've been working on this thing, the more I've started to think about the sort of the smallest unit of the novel as the chapter rather than oh. the word or the sentence, oh, interesting. the more it's starting to feel like design. Like I'm like, well, this would be a great spot for me to do X, Y, or Z. And so I throw X, Y, or yeah. Z in there. And all of a sudden, now that the component pieces are bigger and I'm freer yeah. and I'm not so worried about the sentence level, um, it really does feel like design now, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So this connects back to something I, I was thinking about as I was on my way here, actually, is that I remember reading um, the blog that you ran at the time, Jacket Mechanical. Oh, and, yeah. Years and, ago, yeah. And that, you know... As you were kind of learning design in a way, I think you could say that you were kind of writing about it and, and publishing yeah. online about it. Right. Um, but it was very much about 
the work. It was about the work you were doing. It's about kind of what you were thinking about about design. And even what we see when we read, I think, is essentially a design book. It's obviously about a lot bigger ideas, yeah. but I think it's it's kind of rooted in in, mm -hmm. in design. Yeah. Um, and so I'm 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 kind of curious about the novel and that seems very different than the writing that you've done in public so far from what from what you're kind of talking about and just the fact that it's a novel and right. not um it's super duper isn't actually <laughs> okay. um okay i mean okay so speaking to the blog yeah uh i tell people all the time who are interested in writing it's such a fantastic uh way to um sort of bring some, albeit low stakes, but stakes into the equation and having some stakes, yeah. a deadline, whatever it is, is such a great way to actually right. get yourself to accomplish a, a piece of writing. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was just, you know, and that and sort of like uh, to, to kind of like bridge the loneliness of, being, you know, having to work these things out by yourself right. and not knowing if right. you're losing right. your mind or right. not, um, which is one of the reasons why we just make things, period. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it, you know, what's nice about it is you find that you have an audience, and it gives you confidence. And um, mm -hmm. anyway, uh, to the other, the thrust of your question, which is really about, um, you know, design writing, I think, as opposed to other kind of writing. The novel is really still about the same concerns that what we see okay. was about, in the sense that I mean, what we see. You're right; it is a design book in the sense that it's about the visual field. Um, but really, it's a book about what it means to, this sounds so grandiose and I don't mean it that way, <laughs> but what I mean is it's a book that's about being alive and sort mm. of how we apprehend the world in front of us. Is it is oh, the world given to us in the yeah. way that we are told that the world is given to us, yeah. in, the, in the sort of habitual way that we've come to understand that the world is given to us, right? I mean, as a philosophy major, as an undergrad, in some ways, I think that is really the kernel of all the writing I do is sort of getting to the bottom of what's, you know, I have this propensity that most undergraduate philosophy students have of being sort of naturally skeptical and just wanting to poke a stick yeah, at whatever yeah, anybody's yeah. hallowed assumption is about anything, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a shitty property to have, especially at a dinner party. <laughs> but I just find that yeah. I, I get, I you know, that uh, like truisms about how the world works I find annoying. So when someone right. says to me, like, oh, you know, oh, I only read novels where I can clearly see the main character, I, I really want to mm. unpack that comment, interrogate it a little bit, and see what that means. And so that's sort right. of, that's the, that's the, that was really the impetus for, on some level, what we see when we read, is to sort of examine a little bit in my own, right. you know, self-reflectively, like, my own phenomenology. What is that like? And in a way, the novel's the same thing. Like, for me, the novel is... I mean, it's very much, I should say, a novel of ideas as opposed to a novel of, like, plot. Mm. You know, it's not oh, the Da Vinci Code or anything. It has a plot and it has characters, but really the... the I don't think anyone... I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't think anyone was expecting you to write a novel that was like the Da Vinci Code. I'm no. so glad to hear you say that, um, because I've been saying to everybody who asks about it, the first words out of my mouth are always like, it's a really weird book. To the extent that my editor has told me to stop saying that, like it's really, oh, really? off-putting. <laughs> I always, it, but the people that know me have said, like, oh, we wouldn't expect anything else of you. We're glad that it's yeah. a, yeah. And what I really hope it is, on some level, I should say, the novel is called Same Same, and uh, it's coming out in February. Um, 
and it should be around 350, 400 pages, and it's about a guy who goes to an arts colony in a sort of far-flung place, and uh, crazy shit ensues. Um, but I should also yeah. say that it's a novel that's really um, investigating uh, the idea of how we communicate with one another, mm. which is a, a sort of fundamental design right. idea. Right. Um, specifically, I am really interested in the way in which things replace other things. I mean, I talked in what we see when we read about the idea of metonymy and synecdoche and the way right. in which metaphor right. functions. And, you know, we live in a, we live in an age now where most of our time on the planet is spent interacting with people through avatars and emblems and right. symbols of various right. kinds. Right. And this has become not an abs just an abstract exercise. It's become the way the media has shaped the way we think about the world. It's become a really pressing question. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It, it has, you know, the, the, the form, the, the platform yeah. has presented all kinds of dangers yeah. to the way we live and the way we think and the way we um, digest uh, not just the news, but the world around us in general. So I'm very interested in this idea of, uh, you know, these sort of fundamental um, semiotic questions. Yeah. So really, this is what the novel is about. It's about, um, so on the face of it, it's about this art colony, but it's really about this guy in this, strange world where you can't really tell if it's the present or the future. It's kind of like a desert world, sort of uh, like a Doha, Abu Dhabi style place, although it could be a post-apocalyptic land. This arts colony that he goes to is under a dome. Um, okay. And so there's a weird kind of almost Logan's Run flavor to the whole thing. It's a very, very strange book, but he encounters in this strange new world, this strange city where there are like mm -hmm. Doha or Abu Dhabi, there, there are all of these simulacrum kind of environments, right? There are indoor oh, ski slopes and fake Venices and um, Eiffel Towers right. in the middle of, of Scorch Plains. And there yeah. are all of these sort of, um, uh, you know, doppelgangers, right? Yeah. And he discovers a place called the Same Same Store. Um, and now there are same, same stores. This is a thing in the Arabic world. Um, and in Asia as well, where there are these shops where you bring them things and they'll duplicate them. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I didn't know Yeah. That. And there, there happens to be a place called the same, same shop, which is in, which is in Doha and Qatar. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, that a friend of mine has visited. He gets his shirts made there and oh, you just bring them an item and they'll make you a new one. Oh, um, I've never heard of this. Actually. Yes, right. Um, actually, I have the business card from the same same <laughs> shop. Anyway, so this this character of mine encounters this place, and um, for a variety of reasons, has to get something uh, yeah. a duplicate of something made, and it just the the book is sort of a story of kind of escalating same sames, oh, where which ends up being. Uh, it's not the kind of book where a spoiler will really matter. Like I said, it's really a book of ideas, but it's a doppelganger story on some okay. level. And the book, I think, is really trying to contend with how many us's are there in the right. world and right. how are these various we's and I's right. actually doing a decent job of presenting the, if you can say such a thing, real or radic we's, us's, and I's yeah. into the yeah. world and what that sort of, the diminution of our... Right personality and the sort of interesting richness of our mm -hmm. being, how mm -hmm. the, 
how when that's consolidated into a logo or an emblem or an avatar right. or an emoji right. or a you know uh you know our voice on a thread online w- the damage that gets yeah. done when, yeah. when we're shrunk down to these sort of alternate selves yeah so i mean that's a like, lot to throw at yeah you. i have like 30 <laughs> questions now and so i'm afraid that i'm just gonna like kill the momentum that no, we have going here but you said like 20 different things that are are all types of things that i'm thinking about a lot right now strangely and also things that come up on this podcast a lot great um and so i'm going to try to just break this down really simply and, and hopefully this Go doesn't just kind of ruin what, what we have going but. i'm a rambler so feel free to just like, <laughs> smack me down <laughs> okay all right so i, I can just interrupt when, yeah, I, yeah. when I need to um you know you're talking about kind of how media is shaping things and how shaping ideas of reality and unreality and things is something that I've started to think about because this, especially in regards to this podcast, which came out of this idea of how do we talk about design is mm-hmm. really what the question was and what, what does design criticism mean? Mm-hmm. And are there other ways to talk about design or to quote unquote critique design mm-hmm. uh, in a deeper way aside from just looking at it aesthetically mm-hmm. is really what I was kind of interested in yeah. and that's kind of why uh, one of the big reasons why I, w- I went to, to grad school and as I've gone down that rabbit hole of kind of asking those questions I found that media theory and media cri- criticism is actually a really good analogy and a yeah. lot of the things people are writing about in regards to media mm-hmm. you can take and put into design and it still works sure uh, so this is something that excellent there are a lot of parallels here that I see um that I think we could talk about. But then the other side of that is not just how do we, not just like what, what are the subjects that we talk about when we, when we talk about design or, or design criticism, but are there other forms mm. that we can, can use to critique design, designed artifacts, design culture, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides just the essay or like the history book or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think fiction is actually a really interesting way to do that. Well, <laughs> this is actually um, probably totally premature of me to say, but um, if you looked at Jacket Mechanical, my old blog at all, you might have seen that there were a few essays when I was working on various titles that I cared about. Often what I would do is I would sort of write something about that particular book, and the it would be about the process of designing the book, but more than that, it would sort of be more about, um, you know, sometimes it would be autobiographical yeah, or, yeah. but the most important bit is that I found, and this is not on purpose, I only realized this in retrospect and it's so bleeding obvious to everybody, but the voice of that author would colonize the way I was writing those essays. Mm, so, yeah, right. you know, the Joyce essay was, right. you know, a right. single long sentence and, um, and, that had to do and you were conscious of that not while i was doing it oh, i mean when the joyce essay was done i was like oh duh i was just yeah. you know this is you know the you know molly's soliloquy or whatever yeah. um a much shittier <laughs> version um and that was not really a conceit as much as as it was i think the sort of um the sort of fallen effect of the sort of method acting that i sort of thought of as being oh, the way that I yeah. would design a book jacket yeah. that I would just like fully immerse myself in that author's world. And, and definitely like the Sabald piece was a good example. That's what of I was that thinking as, of when you were talking about that. Yeah. yeah that Sabald piece definitely has his kind of, you know, it's the same structure. Yeah. It, it, the same kind of, uh, 
I mean, even the, the black mood. and white photographs that yeah, you had that's right. kind of interspersed. And that one, you know, by the time I was in the middle of that one, it started to become obvious to me <laughs> what was happening there. And But I started to think that that would be a really interesting book in a way. Um, a kind of... Oh, interesting. You know, it would be sort of my version of, of like Maggie Nelson's like right. auto yeah. theory yeah. is that it would be a way to tell a kind of you know, to do a kind of memoir through the filter of literature and design in a way that would hopefully inform all of those. Yeah. So I started to kind of collect, and, you know, I've made these things that I've never put anywhere, like I did one for Rogrier, and, oh, you know, I have these yeah. things sort of, like, sitting around, and I was thinking that would be a very interesting form of, yeah, design. I don't know what you would, I mean, it's interesting, you're looking for a new form of design criticism. I would just say in response that, I think the most interesting works of art and criticism in general are those ones that are impossible to pigeonhole. Right. That you right. really can't say that they're memoir or criticism or, you know, uh, that they're very hard to put a label on. Those are the things that I like reading the most. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And um, are the hardest to find publishers for. And, <laughs> right. um, but I, you know, I, I am so bored of so many of the standard forms of fiction and criticism yeah. and design writing and you know we just we've gotten to a point where it's just there's you really know what you're going to get when you crack the spine of most books nowadays right and so i always get you know, i remember when i when i worked at Knopf, Honor, there was a book that when it was launched people just sort of you know people around the table just they looked kind of like wall-eyed because they just didn't know what to do with any particular book because there was no easy comp yeah. title yeah. You know, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't Da Vinci Code or it wasn't Fifty Shades or it wasn't this or that. Right. Were always the books that I was like, wow, I really want to work on that. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. I mean I think the I think there are so many ways to write about design that are interesting. Yeah. Um, and why not fiction? Yeah. I mean the as you were saying that, I was thinking one of my favorite books of the last year or so is um was Teju Cole's Blind Spot. Oh Did yeah. You, it was yeah. the kind of Oh yeah, poetry memoir. Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, he's my like favorite writer. Yeah, why the hell um, not? Um, but that book especially seemed like a really interesting way that he brought all of these things that he thinks about and these different. Um, I like the phrase you used of method acting. You know, writing in different modes, pairing it with his photography, and it's kind of part fiction, part poetry, part photo critique. Yeah. Uh, and I've often thought, are you know how how would that look as a. a uh, piece of design like a design criticism you know yeah well i think there's any number of ways to do it i mean yeah. the only sort of caveat i'll give is that i i get a little bit nervous around the sort of like the total artwork idea right the sort right. of gesamtkunstwerk thing where it's <laughs> like i always think that um something like that it tends to be less than the sum of its parts like if if the channels are competing yeah. which they yeah. often are yeah um i find that difficult but i think you know i mean and I think Sabald, who just yeah. came up, is a very yeah. interesting uh, example of someone yeah. who was uh, extremely uh, formally daring and right. managed to actually yeah. pave the way yeah. for people like Tejukol. Yeah, and actually, um, you know, his novel is, is very much a, a Sabald novel in a lot of ways. Open City, I think. Yes, absolutely. It is, no doubt. And, and, and you could yeah. say that Sabald, some of Sabald's works are themselves works of literary criticism as right. much as they are yeah. memoir, as much as they are fiction. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a way to really create a, a gestalt when you're making something like that. And I don't see why fiction couldn't be design criticism. There's a, yeah. there's a part, one of my favorite um, 
uh, sort of episodes in literature is the the Proust's origin story in oh, Remembrance yeah. of Things Past, where he's in the carriage and he sees the the towers in Cambrai and he's sort of watching them as they kind of line up. It's this yeah. sort of uh, I've evening only moment. That book uh, yeah. a few times I've never right. gotten all the way through. <laughs> but you know, he's a young boy and he sees this thing happen where there are these two towers and uh -huh. they're and you know the the steeples and they kind of line up for a minute. And something, it moves something in him and he runs home and writes it all down. And it's sort of like, oh, yeah. it's like ground zero for Proust as a right. writer. And, um, you know, when I was writing my book, there's, there's a lot of architecture in the book, weirdly, okay. because I'm thinking about like, you know, I have, I'm so naive about writing fiction. I'm just like, how does, how do people navigate spaces? Right. Yeah. So you have to think <laughs> about these things and all of a sudden it's like, well, they're buildings, right? And what right. do those buildings look like? And, um, <laughs> so there's a scene where I have a character in a car and I'm like, well, he has to be looking at something. And so there's a tower and the tower moves and I'm like, is there nothing else? And I'm like, well, there has to be something behind the tower. So yeah. there are these two buildings. All of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, this is the same thing that's happening in Remembrance of Things Past. I'm like, well, I'm kind of writing about architecture now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, this is exactly what my next question was going to be, yeah. was how you start thinking about these things in your own work or in your own writing, especially. Um, and the fact that this new book is a novel, but it's still dealing with all the same things that your all of your work really is kind of thinking about. How did that like, I, this is a, such a stupid question, I'm sorry, but why did that become a novel? You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> right. No, that's you, you that, know, like, that how, is an How did that question. become the form that this these ideas take this time? I think it was just a kind of intellectual restlessness. That okay. It was, it was a medium that I've just been, <clears throat> I've been, excuse me, very interested in trying for a while. And I just, you know, the total control yeah. is a big thing. I mean, when you work as a, you know, the big difference is, right, you work as a designer, right. you only have so much control. Your mm -hmm. work is at worst parasitic to, at best symbiotic with someone else's work, um, yeah. the authors, um, and then obviously, like I said, they're the commercial interests, that whole vector that you have to consider. So, you know, you only have so much agency as a right. designer. Right. And, you know, the great thing about making a painting or writing a sonata, or writing a novel, is that, you know, it's all mine! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, fuck yeah. off, I can do what I want. Right. Um, at any given moment. Now, that's terrifying, it turns out, also. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's something that everybody needs to try in their life. And even when you're writing criticism, to some extent, your work is, again, uh, symbiotic with... Or again, actually, more often than not, with criticism, parasitic to right. somebody else's right. work. Right. Um, so it's you know it's it's freeing and you know vertiginous and mm -hmm. kind of crazy experience to yeah. have. But I mean, the other thing I'll just add, sort of biographically, is that I'm you know when I was a kid, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. And I really love world building. Yeah. <laughs> it's so geeky, but there's right. something about just like the. And I mean, again, what we see, what we read, what we see when we read is about the imagination, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and so it is about world building. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, specifically when you talk about book design, it's about a kind of world building that's constrained by someone else's. I was, that was just what I was going to ask you. Yeah. yeah. And, and in a way that is a little like Dungeons and Dragons where someone tells you you've entered a cave and yeah. then all of a sudden you have to fill out those you're fleshing out all the details yourself, that it is imaginative yeah. work that's prompted in some ways by someone else. So for me, the novel in a way is just, well, what if I just provided all the prompts and answers myself? Right. 
And then the lesson for me was then I found that I overwrote everything because I was trying to fill in those gaps oh. too much and really, yeah. you know, I have many good friends who are writers and some of the best advice I had from people was just, you know, you know, where they would red pencil all this stuff and say, you have to give your reader more credit to figure this stuff out themselves. Right. And, you know, with a designer, you can't do that. You can't fill everything out for people. Yeah. That's just not the way it works. But with writing, the temptation is to really, you know, give the reader as much information as possible. Right. And and it was just like this, uncon you, you just yeah. thought you had to do that. I just didn't know what I was doing. Worked. Yeah. L yeah. I, listen, it's learning on the job. Yeah. I mean, and... When did you realize that this was going to be a novel? You know, um, like, did you did you sit down saying, like, I'm starting a novel? Or yeah. were you kind of writing? It was, a, it was a real kind of, like, epiphanic kind of thing. I was literally out to dinner with this friend of mine who had just come back from Doha, and I okay. asked him about this shirt he was wearing, which was really nice. <laughs> right. And he said, well, I got it from this place, the same, same shop, but they didn't really, I mean, they made it, but they, the original came from somewhere else. And I was like, what do you? What the hell are you talking about? He's like, yeah. well, you go to these places. The amazing thing, the, there was a single detail that he told me that really spurred the whole thing, which is like, yeah, you just go to the counter, you put the thing down, and you say same, same. And I was like, in English, same, same? And he's like, yeah, same, same. And then I was like, what What else do they do? And he's like, well, um, let's see. And then he started to describe the other things he'd have made. And I was like, this is, this is yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really need to know everything about this. Um, and... <laughs> And that night I went home, and as it happened, I had just read John McPhee's, one of his pieces in The New Yorker on writing, the one in which he talked about his method of this sort of index carding of oh, his yeah. nonfiction yeah. pieces. Yeah. And so, you know, one of my kids I just had... assigned that to, to my students, actually. Oh, yeah. It's a, I mean, listen, he's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it just, you know, my kid was working on a science project, and we, so we had these stacks of index cards. So it's like, shoot. And I just saw the whole thing. And so I just started oh, wow. writing down on the index cards this story of this, you know, of course the book changed a lot since right. that moment where I sort of plotted it out, but it was really just like a moment. Yeah. Um, and I just, it, it spoke to everything that's interesting to me. The idea of the reduced form of something right. in the world right. is the key to everything in life, I feel like. Was that different? Was that kind of process, that light bulb moment, different than your other book or, you know, well, even the, design projects? It was different from the other book in the sense that the other book, listen, I had the idea for the other book in a similar way. It was just right. like, this is something yeah. I really want to write right, about. And, started and then a... I sold it as a proposal <clears throat> and then had an extremely oh, okay. short amount of time to actually okay. put it together. You know, there was no time to second guess anything, to rewrite anything. It was right. just six months of craziness yeah. while I was working at Knopf, while I was making cover, while I was doing my freelance right. work, while right. I was raising my children. It was insane. So this was different in the sense that I actually, I gave myself some time to work on it. Mm. Um, so it was, it was different in that regard. It was also different in the fact that um, there was no, there was no material to refer to. Oh, right. And that was, right scary in some ways it yeah. felt like working without a net on the other hand it felt very freeing because the worst anybody could say to you about the book is i don't like what you do you know <laughs> they can't really say to you you got it wrong oh interesting <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah with nonfiction, oh, there's always this worry that. that that people will come at you for having 
misunderstood the problem or, you know, I think it's with... That's so interesting. It's it's more like if someone doesn't like the book, it's like they would say to me, like, I don't like the way you look. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, okay, you shrug yeah. your shoulders and say, that's just who I am. The, yeah. You know, I, I do. I, yeah. I live with myself every day. Um, and... So it was a, there were a completely other set of uh, sort of like um, desires and fears affiliated with it. Yeah. Um, but also it's just a bigger, it's a bigger process. I mean, this book, like I'm cutting it down from hundreds of thousands of words. It was a lot of words. Yeah. And what we see when we read wasn't and cover wasn't. Right. And those words had an armature that was visual. And this is a sh purely abstract thing. Yeah. As it happens, and I won't tell you what the armature turned out to be, but the book turned out to actually formulate itself after something else in a way that was oh, very, very satisfying in terms of the idea of duplication and right. um, simulacrums and simulation. It, you know, by the time I was halfway through the novel, I realized that it was sort of following a very familiar arc. Mm -hmm. And then I very mm -hmm. consciously built this book after another book. Um, oh, interesting. So I'm hoping that that will emerge to uh, close readers, that they'll see that this book is actually a formulation of another book. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I don't mean to be, this is going to be such a reductive question, but what was that, pro like, you know, you, you write these things, you have this idea, you write these things on, on note cards, it's this new medium that you've never really worked in before. Mm -hmm. You're still working. Right. Is this like a you come home from work and you you, you yeah you know you type a little bit like what how do so you go from note cards to most of what we see when we read was written on the subway oh wow um, okay in a notebook yeah uh, just because oh, hand, yeah handwritten because I just didn't have time and and then I would get home and I would try to transcribe it onto my laptop and um, like I said it's not you know it's more of an essay than a yeah a book length thing so that's not really such a big deal but it turned out to be true for the novel as well like I'm. I still have to make a living. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, most of my life is spent worried about money. Like I have two kids <laughs> in private school, one of whom is going to college next year. And, you know, we have the loan on this apartment and it's not cheap to live this way. <laughs> to have a family in Manhattan is, yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's totally yeah. crazy. So yeah. I, you know, most of my hours are spent thinking about how I'm going to bring money in. Right. Um, yeah. And I have to do that work as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and man, you you ask these questions where you would think you'd have a very simple answer, and I go off on these tangents. So I apologize. No, All I, I will love, say, I'm loving this. Okay. Okay. All I will say in response is that one of the reasons why this book is set at a arts colony, mm. at a place where nobody has to do anything but be creative. Yeah. was this was a kind of playing out of a fantasy for me. What would it be like to actually yeah. have the time? As it turns out, I have built, I have now built the time for myself through a series of freelance projects. Um, but um, the method for the novel was really get home from Knopf, because I started it while I was still working there, and I would just make sure that I got a certain amount of words in every night. And mm. after a while, I started to feel a little alone with that, so I got a bunch of friends of mine... Um, incidentally, who were also a Knopf at the time, editorial assistants, other designers, okay, yeah. to sort of convene once a month and sort of check in with our progress with one another. I, it's not a writing group. I like to, it wasn't a workshop. I like to call it more like an AA scenario <laughs> yeah. where it was just like we would keep each other on point. So right. I sort of convened this thing and it really worked actually. Um, 
one other of the people has a novel that's completed. One of the editorial assistants sold his novel to Viking. It's coming out around the oh, same wow. time as mine. Yeah. It was a really, actually, it was a great thing. Like yeah. we all pulled an oar and we got each other over the over the the hump. Yeah. And it's really important, I think, to not isolate yourself when you're doing something that's such a heavy lift. Yeah. Um, actually, I find that with reading too. Like I have a critical reading group that I have here, oh, wow. um, critical theory reading group. Um, and, you know, uh, over the last fall and winter, we worked our way through some extremely dense and difficult texts that I just wouldn't have read unless I had other people sort of, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and I'm a big, uh, I don't really love collaborating on things, but I, I, I feel like there's certain kinds of projects where you just you know, the more the merrier. It just really helps to yeah. not feel alone yeah. with something, have other people's expertise. Uh, um, you know, I'm a big believer in the editorial process right. for that reason. Um, so anyway, I guess the answer is that after a while, I just, you know, I, I had this I had this system where I would just get a certain amount of words in every day by hook or yeah. by crook. They were just word vomit. And, yeah. you know, I knew that the writing of the book was going to be in the editing of the book. And that's okay. always true. Yeah. And you just can't believe how much something changes from your initial conception. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the hardest part is just like making that huge chunk of rock, as everybody says that you're going to chisel down. Yeah. Um, and the key to making it is just freaking discipline. It's just yeah. doing it. Right. You know? Right. And, and that's it. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's the key to it. Yeah. It's the same thing as like learning a piece of music. You just, you know, when I was a little kid, it's like, you're just told you have to play a certain amount of yeah. hours and yeah. it's the only way to learn something. And it's true. Yeah. I mean, I don't, now I just feel like I'm sucking up to you, uh, quoting you back all the time. But one of my other favorite pieces in covers, when you talk about how the difference between design and music is that music, there's a performance, but design is this thing that's just end, endlessly kind of practicing. And I think writing is actually kind of similar to that or could be similar to that. Yes, that's true. Until the moment that it, it, um, the publisher takes right. it away from right. you, right. which is totally terrifying. But even then, what's interesting is the process doesn't end. Then the process is the descriptive process of the process itself. Mm, um, yeah. And as a designer, as someone who's affiliated with writing for so many years and have gone to so many book launches, I've heard so many people have to describe the writing process that you realize that the there's this weird kind of um, after image of any work oh, like yeah, that yeah. in which the novelist has to construct what then actually becomes a kind of semi-fictional as right, all autobiography right, right. is a fictional account of what it's like to actually make the thing. Yeah. And you know, it's a kind of, um, a kind of mythology then grows around the making of anything. And like the fiction never ends on right, some level. Right. Right. And if that speaks to what you're, referring to yeah well i mean the reason that i asked the the question about you know that kind of process question of how you kind of how you did that with your day job basically is i, I really liked the that art monster term and and that fits that resonates with a lot of how i think about the work that i'm trying to do by but, the way i'll just say i so love um that you're interested in that constellation of media because I, especially at the moment where I'm about to put a novel into the world, I feel so much self-doubt and fear oh, yeah. and confusion around it. And to feel that there's anybody out there that would be encouraging of the idea of 
someone trying to uh, investigate those intersections and um, parallels yeah. and finding ways that the media speak to one another feels very kind of heartening to me and kind oh. of salutary. Like I, I would really love to not feel like amateurish. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that's how you yeah. feel when you yeah. feel, when you start to, you know, the, the people really don't want you to step out of your runnel. Right. Right. And it's not good for anybody. Yeah. It really isn't. Like stepping yeah. out of runnels is how you get, um, you get work that's challenging. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's important, I think, for all of us to have work that's challenging that yeah. doesn't that isn't easy that you can't kind of grok at once. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, part of the problem I would say with our I mean, obviously our nation in particular, but the world in general right now is that we've become so habituated to things that are grokkable at a glance. Right, right. Um, and so to use this word again, we've lost the richness and complexity that is um, the actual empirical world. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. how do we get that back? I think part of that is that we have to be a little more flexible about the definitions that we use um, not just right, for right. us as people, obviously for our professions, but for everything. We have to be a little more, uh, I don't know what the word is exactly, but we have to be a little more critical of ourselves when it comes to pigeonholing things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's a huge challenge for all of us as human beings, but it obviously feeds into the work that we do. Um, and if there was just a little more cross-pollinating of every yes, possible kind yes. in the world, yes. uh, sorry, I'm building to no. a hallelujah <laughs> moment, but I just think the world would be a better place. I, I'm actually really glad that you said that because that helps, that helped me kind of formulate the question that I was trying to ask you because what I was trying to get at is I went back to grad school disenchanted with this term graphic design, feeling like it didn't fit the things that I wanted to do, which is why this term art monster is resonating with me so much and I felt like if I wanted to be a critic or a design writer or even just a writer or a curator or a teacher that those had to come from different places that that was different than design right and what I've come to understand through these conversations through grad school through the work that I'm doing now is that they all actually can kind of come from the same place and that by bending those definitions a little bit or mm. letting things start to talk to each other a little bit yeah that all of those things can actually fit under one thing and so i'm kind of curious, absolutely i'm curious kind of how you think like was it literally you would go to work and you were a designer and then you came home and you were like how did those things start to talk to each other for you um you know my mind kind of ping pongs around on a minute by minute basis it's really <laughs> yeah. um it's it's especially when i had an in-house job it was it was hard because i i was a little unfocused yeah um What's happened to me since I left Knopf, um, you know, there were, there have been some moments, especially recently where, you know, I've woke, I would wake up in the morning and I would write for an hour or two and I'd go over to the piano and I'd work on something. And then I'd sit down at the computer and I'd bang out a jacket and then I would sort of cycle through those things again. And it felt so freaking right to do them serially like that. Yeah. Because each time I would leave a medium, my mind would be totally fresh for the next one. And, um, and I would have, I would feel so much freedom all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the big thing about like, I'll just 
writing, say, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're writing a novel, the hardest thing about the writing is sort of having any degree of objectivity about what you're doing. That little bit of arm's length, that little bit yeah. of distance that'll tell yeah. you that like, oh, you might be in, you know, the Kill Your Darlings, so you might be in love with that sentence, but that sentence honestly sucks and it's not serving the purpose of the book. And you only get that by being a little removed. You have to have a, some degree of alienation from your work. And writers will tell you that there are all kinds of tricks for this. Right. Change the font. Read something as an e your own thing as an ebook. Sometime read on a screen, <laughs> print it out, and read it. There are all these like sort of techniques of alienation yeah. that allow you to see the thing that you're working on. Comparably in music, anybody will tell you. Um, and when you get to a really uh, a reasonably high level at say the piano, <laughs> your teachers will will spend most of their time with you teaching you how to listen to what you're producing as you're producing it. Oh, which is the hardest thing to do. You're not yeah. listening to yourself when you're when you're playing. You're idealizing the work that you're doing. So your your head fills in those notes that you've missed. And anybody will tell you this. The hardest thing about being a performer is actually hearing what you're doing yeah. in any yeah. reasonably kind of objective way. Yeah. So the great thing about cycling through media is that you get that kind of you you get the, the, the paradigm shifts, and all of a sudden you can see what you're working on from a distance because mm -hmm, you were in mm -hmm. a completely other world a minute ago. Yeah. And it's been so helpful for me in That's all of really those forms to be able to cycle through them in that way. Yeah. And it's really enabled me to not have to be thinking about them all at once. Yeah. See, that's my problem. <laughs> I mean, now, now this is just therapy basically. But that's because I've, I've been actually trying to do that. Cause I, I, I think that I've kind of thinking, you know, and working in some similar, similar ways to you my problem right now is when i'm doing the one thing i'm thinking oh but i actually need to be doing that other thing right well i mean the <laughs> yeah. other the other side of that is i think that you just have to allow your your mind to go where your mind's going to go and you just have to follow it yeah, yeah. and a lot of that is actually doing nothing frankly my yeah. wife always tells me because i'm totally not aware of my own habits until she tells me what i'm doing <laughs> yeah. she's always like how can you spend three hours like watching that soccer game or whatever a soccer game's 90 minutes but you know what I mean <laughs> how can you just like veg out that way and I'm like I don't know like my brain has to just utterly turn off sometimes and I have right. to allow that to happen and you know similarly if my brain is like well oh you know that cover could use x y or z like I'll, I'll just have to stop what I'm doing and go right. do that right and right. sometimes you have to listen to your your own rhythms um yeah. I think that's hugely important. I mean, I would say the other sort of general principle speaking of sort of being in therapy <laughs> yeah. is that I think the key to kind of stepping out of those runnels I was talking about, yeah. the sort of hard and fast divisions between the various things that you're working on um, is A, allowing yourself to be able to, right. you know, if right. your mind's going to ping pong, let it ping pong. That can be profitable right. to allow your mind to do that when it wants to do that. The other thing is to follow your own discomfort a little bit to mm. see what it is. And this is, you know, this is an obvious therapy yeah. trick, right? So what are you scared of doing? What are you avoiding doing? What is the thing that you're trying to distract yourself from? Um, and, you know, actually that is a decent answer to your question of why a novel. Yeah. Like I just found that the idea right. was making, the idea of doing that just seems so verboten on mm -hmm. some level. So like, what would you be thinking? That yeah. it was just something I had to do. Yeah. Like I think if you listen closely enough to the things that your own, um, there's a wonderful book uh, 
by Adam Phillips. Do you know him? The British um, the name Freudian. Uh, he has a book on self-criticism oh, uh, that contains an article on self-criticism they published in the LRB. It's a super... I, I would oh, totally, this sounds really familiar. I would totally direct you to this article okay. because it's one of the uh, most inspiring things I've read in a long time. What it's about is what is the self-critical faculty for and the ways in which it abuses oh, us. Yeah. And one of the things I took away from reading that is... Um, this notion of you you have to sort of like what are you being kept from and why like mm -hmm. why is this person yelling at you and telling you not to do x y or z i think if you stand up in the face of that self-criticism sometimes you find that that's how you end up in an interesting spot and sometimes that spot ends up being a place like i said that's you know uncomfortably on that spectrum between media right uh, right or is a constellation of them or is just one medium that you thought you weren't allowed to work in yeah um but as a therapeutic technique, I think it's a really good one. Do you think, I, I, I want, I like this idea of kind of, you know, you know, putting your, your work at arm's length a little bit. And I wanted to, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to talk about something that you had mentioned earlier um, about how you would, while you were designing covers, you would kind of write little essays or, yeah. or memoir type things kind of in the voice. Do you think that was a way of doing that or, or what, what did that? That writing, like how'd that fit into this right. process, or why? You know, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to say like why'd you do that, but yeah, no, it's a listen. It's a question I've actually never asked myself, so okay. I'm glad you asked it. Um, and I'm going to try to be honest in answering it. I mean, I, you know, part of it I think is, you know, I said earlier, there's a kind of loneliness to making things in yeah. general, and I think you know, just the the wanting to share it in some way that wasn't just it going out into the world as a book jacket, you mm -hmm. know, somehow me putting a little more of my own gloss on it was a way of just sort oh. of interacting with the world around the work. Oh, but I think, yeah. I think probably the deeper and more honest answer is that the design itself didn't feel sufficient somehow oh, as work. Yeah. You know, yeah. that there's always been this part of me. And again, maybe it's that like Leonard Bernstein thing of wanting to be something that you're not all the time, but yeah. there was part of me that just felt like, okay, I've done this jacket and it feels good, but it also feels a little hollow. And I'm like, what, what like, is there more there, there? Like, yeah. what am I, yeah. what am I even doing here? I mean, I'm just like, I'm yeah. the kind of person who's just neurotic in that way. Also, I'm just like, always think like, shit, like, is there any more? Like, <laughs> What am yeah. I missing? Yeah. Like, and yeah. so I think there's probably part of it that's just, you know, okay, I made this thing and tomorrow I'm going to make another. Th the older you get as a designer too, the more you run up against this. I mean, the whole like, what does it mean to be an older designer thing is fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm turning 50 this year, um, <laughs> which is nuts. But in design, like I've only been working in design for 15 of those 50 years. So it right. still feels kind of fresh to me. On the other hand, I'm starting to experience that thing. Like, I know that if someone were to give me a job today that I could probably bang out a reasonably good looking, somewhat smart jacket and it starts to feel a little like, but why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's this, this feeling of, do you keep doing this thing? Like, how do you grow? Yeah. Like, what is, you know, and I think design in particular, because of the aforementioned commercial aspects and the, the, the aspects of it being... Um, kind of subsidiary to another art form. Like, I think it's, design is the kind of thing where you're, you're bound to feel if you're a curious and self-recriminating person, you're bound to feel at some point that 
there's got there's not enough yeah you know yeah. i mean i see you know my friend oliver monday who's a designer oh, yeah. who i yeah. work with very closely i'm watching him go through it now and it's both exciting to see that he's got that intellectual curiosity like it gives me an immense pleasure to see him want more on the other hand i feel for him because i know that it sucks to yeah. be given some sort of skill at doing something and then know that eventually you're going to leave it like it's not gonna right. i've been through that already with music it's <laughs> oh, it's right. never fun right. right um so it's a real mixed bag yeah um i can't remember what we were talking about. no i mean this this leads in i just have a couple more like yeah. kind of quick sure i mean yeah we'll see if they're quick uh sorry, questions just to so kind of digressive i just um, no this has been been great please don't apologize um but it leads into to one of the questions that i wanted to kind of use to kind of wrap things up is now that you've spent time writing and and you know maybe you can call yourself a, a writer does that has that process and working in that medium uh i asked you earlier how design has kind of changed how you thought about writing has there been an inverse where now writing whether yeah you know just writing or writing fiction even you know you, you either way has that changed how you think about being a designer it's definitely changed the way i feel about being a book cover designer in the mm. sense that i i now way more viscerally understand what the client feels like mm -hmm. it's just you know yeah. the process is fraught to begin with and i think as designers not just designers publishing in general is a field in which whether we're encouraged by our higher-ups to feel this way or not, or whether it's just natural to the environment, you begin to feel like you're just pushing widgets, essentially. And there's an right. almost kind of contempt for the author starts to arise in the business, and it's, right. it's kind of shitty. Now I'm outside of it, and I'm kind of looking in from the outside and fogging up the glass, and I'm feeling like, oh, wow, like we should just be way kinder to the talent. <laughs> Because their lives super, yeah, super yeah. suck. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think book cover designers, I've been very flip in the past about describing, you know, I always say about the backlist, you know, the authors are dead, so they oh, can't right, disprove right, of right. what I do. And that's funny and true. And yet, you know, oh, it sucks to be on the other end. Yeah. It really does. Not that someone else is designing my book I was going to say, are you... Yeah, are you? <laughs> no, I, I, I've been forced to by my publisher on every occasion, and I, this is no different. I, I have been working on the cover for my novel, and okay. hopefully it will come up with something <laughs> that's okay. Um, and that's... Man, is that a quagmire. Um, and another story. Yeah, but I my point imagine. is that like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine now what it would be like for me if someone were to try to come up with a cover for Same Same, and how difficult that would be for me Yeah, um, yeah. for somebody else to come up with the face for this thing. Um, and it would be, I think, agony. So in that sense, this is just the publishing uh, aspect. I, you know, I now look at sort of the dynamics of, of publishing a book very, very differently. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. it's, it probably makes it harder for me as a designer to, to do a jacket for a, an author because, you know, just the, the fear of getting it wrong has, has, you know, it's become larger, that fear. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then in terms of the actual process, I mean, I think the greatest gift I've ever been given in terms of, um, you know, in terms of the way I look at designing in general is just a sort of uh, understanding of the kind of base frivolousness of it as a career and I still have that more so now than ever and it's always enabled me I think to do my best work when I sort of 
yeah. can feel um, sort of the the that it's it's not that important what I'm doing, and the, and the the less important it feels, the better I feel like I do at it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, do you think, you know, now now that you're you know kind of working for yourself, are you trying to design other things like not that are not related to books? Like, is that something that you're interested in at all or, or, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I have a series of freelance jobs. I designed one magazine recently, um, that, you know, I was downriver of one of these toxic men things, which was, uh, extremely intense. Um, you know, I built a magazine from scratch that never saw the light of day. Um, I will be working on another magazine. Um, you know, I'm making brands and logos and you name it as well as book jackets. And, um, so I'm doing it, and there's always something to learn. Um, so I guess, I mean, my heart's desire is not to be a designer for the rest of my okay, life. Okay, that's kind of what I thought I, you were going to say. I mean, you know, I have a rehearsal on Saturday for a trio that I play in. Oh, okay. um, and, you know, if life were anything like fiction then it would all come full circle somehow and i would really love for that to happen i mean yeah so we're yeah. playing the Ravel a minor and the beethoven archduke and man playing music is just there is yeah you know if you've got to rank the media <laughs> it's the one that definitely feels the most viscerally satisfying so yeah. i don't know you know who the hell knows i yeah. mean i uh I don't really know what's coming up next, but, you know, I hope it wouldn't just be more of the same. Right. right. And if there's any kind of, um, if there's any, like, if, if, if I have like a, like a heraldic sort of standard, like the mm-hmm. motto would say like something, you know, like, yeah, don't yeah. do the same thing like, yeah. in Latin. I love that. I, I, love I that. just, cause I don't want to be bored. I guess I'm sort of constitutionally. Yeah. Um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Sort yeah. of loathe the yeah. idea of just like sitting around right right so, yeah i know I exactly know. what you mean you know we'll see i mean i'm the novel come out and i'm assuming that probably 90 percent of the people who read it won't like it or it'll be confusing to them again i'll <laughs> say the thing my editor told me not to say which that's is that's a very weird yeah. book but i hope that it finds those readers who are the you know the kind of weirdos and oddbods and kind of spelunkers who want to like get in and are happy to be made uncomfortable by something yeah, and yeah. to not kind of understand what it is at first. Yeah. And that would be a great joy to me. And I don't know, like, you know, maybe there, there's more fiction to write. Okay. I, I, as a kind of, this, this just uh, came back into my head, but as sort of summary for basically everything we've been talking about, it, it occurred to me yesterday that a great um, title for a novel would be the art department mm. in yeah. in all of its senses because I uh, and I think that is it possible to write a novel predicated on a title alone? I don't know, but I think that might be the next thing I do. <laughs> okay, all right, I and maybe that. it's multimedia. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I have two more quick questions. Hit me. These are questions that I ask everybody to kind of wrap sure. up. This podcast, kind of ostensibly or at the very high level, is about design criticism, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on you know, what are the issues or topics around design today, 2018, that maybe deserve a a kind of critical lens turned to them that maybe you're not seeing? Um, Let's see. Um, 
looking over the design landscape, I would say there's sort of two issues. One's aesthetic, the other's pedagogic, I would oh, say. Yeah. Um, and I can't speak to design in general because I occupy a pretty small kind yeah. of backwater of it, which is book cover design. But, you know, looking over book jackets these days, there is just so much uniformity mm -hmm. and um, homogeneity. Yeah. It's really yeah. kind of disturbing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've i made some very ugly things in my life, <laughs> book jackets. And, uh, you know, at least they were ugly. Right. I mean, the thing that I right. find really yeah, depressing I is I spend so much of my life in bookstores and I'm just like looking over the landscape right now and there is a lot of dull pretty look-alike jackets and it bums me out yeah um yeah. so just speaking to that sort of yeah. the aesthetic I, point yeah. i would i'm with you 100 on that one <laughs> i just you know i i would love to see people just try something weird or smart yeah. or yeah. just i'm i'm so you know and 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 that i i know why that is that it's the path of least resistance and publishers are not making a huge yeah. amount of money and so they're nervous about things and they want so they want copy well it's not jackets. even just it's not even just Book covers, though. I mean, look at any any Silicon Valley startup website, and it's all the kind of golden hour photography, the uh, kind yeah. of humanist sans serif right. logo yep. that's centered above it, the right. three boxes of what they're what they offer. Yep. I mean, you could you could I think you can put that to kind of any design yep. area right now and yep. say the same thing. Yep. Same same. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, nice. Yeah. It's it's a bummer. And I'm I'm really what I'm hoping is you know I see art departments in general are hiring art directors who tend to be more um, kind of like project managers than mm. you know art directors back in the day. I remember when I started, John Gall was my first oh, um, yeah. boss. He was an art director. He really fought for the weird shit that we would make. Mm. And he himself, you know, was an amazing designer, still is yeah. an amazing designer. And, you know, he would, he would teach by example and, you know, there'd be friction in cover meetings right. and, you know, but good work got done. Right. And more and more I see art directors who are just, you know, let's just like, let's move the units. Yeah. And yeah. It's that's depressing, I right, think, especially right. when it comes to backlists. I think where there's just so much opportunity to do yeah. so much interesting, expressive design. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then the sort of the pedagogical component is that the state of design education is woeful in this country, by which I mean the emphasis on the education aspect of design. That there are so many illiterate designers being, I don't want to say produced, but sort of their money is being taken. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then they're sort of like passed through the locks of this particular channel and out into the world without the proper yeah. Yeah. Uh, faculties to actually make good work, a name for themselves, to do that most fundamental thing that design is supposed to do, which is communicate, right. both right. in written form and verbally, yeah. um, not to mention graphically. Yeah. Um, but the fact that the design schools don't, find it incumbent upon them to teach the basic schools of the basic skills of reading and writing i find really depressing yeah. and it almost feels like a racket and um it really kind of worries me i you know I, i'm whenever i've gone to a design school and kids ask me about you know how do you get to whatever position you want to get to as a designer i want to say to them you know, you got to read a lot. You got to yeah. write a lot. You got to yeah. think a lot. You got to figure out who you yeah. are and then be able to 
express what that thing is. Yeah. yeah. And the only way you're going to learn how to do that is by reading and writing right. and speaking. Right. Like, like that sort of triumvirate of skills, I think, they're not being taught. And when they're not taught, they're... design education's a scam. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're not giving people the skills they need to succeed. Yeah. Um, so that worries me. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah. And I, I feel like um, I would just love to see more mandatory classes in design schools where kids are made to read hard stuff. They're made to, to just like work on that muscle. Yeah. And then when they write something that's incoherent, someone tell them that's an incoherent sentence and have it be explained why. And then... The, the, hopefully the end result of that is that they they learn what clarity of expression is yes. and then yeah. that can have that wonderful uh, cross-pollination effect that we were talking about where their design becomes clearer they become, yeah. you know, you become more um, a, an advocate for yourself and your work, yeah. which actually you need to be to be a, a decently paid designer in this world right? I mean there's just not we don't work in a field that's highly remunerated, especially if you're working in graphic design. So if you really want to make money at it, you have to have a name that somehow is built outside of the work that you do. And the right. only way you do that is by talking about yourself and your right. work. Right. right. Um, and the only way you do that well is by becoming um, literate. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love that. I agree with you 100%. If this podcast has any goal aside from finding these new ways to, to talk about design it's kind of to to look at that intersection between design and writing yeah and and the to kind of provide a a, a reading list in a sense or Good for um, you, man. and so that's <laughs> i'm glad somebody needs to be doing that i'm i'm trying we're, we we tend as a community to encourage one another downward mm, um yeah. there's just and there's so much back padding and laurel sitting and um it's not good for us. And yeah. the fact that we're producing a generation that's less capable right. of, of uh, sort of critical thinking, um, it's only going to drag the profession down. I mean, right. it's just we're downs to all of us. Right. Um, and so I would, really, yeah. I would really say that it's fantastic that you're doing this and... Man, I just I hope more people in the field are are encouraging other designers to, to read and write more. Well, I mean that leads into the my last question, which is, you know, who are the the writers, or you know, do you have a list of books, or the the people that have influenced you, mm -hmm. or you know, the writers that have inspired you, or if you were to provide a reading list of, you know, here are the people that everybody needs to read, or right. or. That's you know, such a tough one because I'm I'm really. I mean, I'm uh, looking at the. I see the room. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of books. Um, I, I'm pretty uh, omnivorous in terms of what I'll read. Um, you know, the stuff that's been uh, really helpful to me in terms of learning how to write fiction and, by extension, how to think about reading fiction um, have been just wildly disparate kinds yeah. of writers. Like I've been reading Flaubert and Beckett at the same okay. time, which is like, I can't think of two more different, um, uh, both stylists obviously, but you know, yeah. their interests were, were absolutely, um, diametrically different. Um, but you know, any good writer is going to teach you something wonderful about not only the world, but ways in which to express what you found yeah. out about the world. Um, you know, obviously Sebald has been a big influence on me. Um, 
you know, and a whole generation of writers, yeah. I would say, um, uh, both in his philosophical uh, commitments and his commitments to the visual arts and right. his ability to write fiction that, um, as I was saying, is also criticism and is itself reading of other writers. It's very hard to read Sebald without thinking of, say, Kafka. Yeah, um, yeah. And in a way, some books of his, you can say, are um, themselves work, works of criticism built on the works of Stendhal or, or right, Kafka right, or whoever right. it is. Yeah. Um, so I find that very interesting. He's one of those sweet, generous guys that, you know, I think John Berger was the same yeah. way. Oh, you yeah. Know, yeah. I, I really enjoy his stories and his fiction. Yeah. Um, you know, he won the frickin' Booker Prize for a novel. Like, he's not just the, right. you know, the, the BBC <laughs> kind of, like, visual signifiers guy. Yeah. Um, and his writing was always, um, you know, I really mourn his passing because I felt like he was one of those guys who was really comfortable to straddle a fence. Yeah. Um, yeah. He felt okay doing yeah. that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even his you know, I would say his most popular work, right? Right. Which I'm yeah. sure yeah. you've Ways read. Of seeing. Yeah, Ways of, of seeing is itself actually, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's both an extremely creative work, but it's also a translation of the work of Walter right. Benjamin. And right. it's a work right. of criticism of other works of yeah. critical theory. Yeah. Um, you know, he's just the most formally inventive uh, yeah. writer yeah. and thinker that I know of. And he painted and drew, and um, I think he's as good a model as one could have. Yeah, I love that. I yeah, I mean he's he's the best. This was such a great conversation. Oh, for me too. I'm sorry, I'm such a gas bag. I um, no, was... I mean I feel like I could talk to you for another hour or so. Like this yeah. was this well, was hang around. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I, I it was uh, a pleasure. Thanks. I'm for... a big fan and and think this was was great. Well, thanks for talking to me. This episode was recorded on February 28th, 2018 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud, and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.